Bibles this morning, turn with me to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 34. And throughout church history, or one of the things that church history tells us is that prior to the Reformation and Martin Luther, most ordinary people, regular people like you and I, did not have a household Bible. There are some who believe that the reason for that was because the printing press had not yet or had only recently been invented. And to have a hand printed, a hand copy of the Bible was extremely expensive and uh, thereby making it extremely rare. Some who believe that. There are others that adhere to the thought or understanding that the Catholic Church had suppressed the Word of God. And they had kept it in the hands of just the church. And the reason for that, if you ascribe to that belief, is because uh, they didn't want the average person to realize all the unbiblical doctrine that was being spread through the Catholic Church. Whatever belief you ascribe to, the reality is that these were referred to many times as the dark ages of history. And spiritually speaking, the book, the Word of God, had been lost. This is why they called it the dark ages, because people didn't have access to the Word of God. And how many know any time you lose the Word of God, you lose the book, religion will fill that void. The text we're going to look at, we have a young king named Josiah, lived about 640 years before Christ. And his nation, Judah, had lost God's word. And this is not a figurative thing. It was literally they had lost the word of God. And, you know, this is a big deal. It's not like losing your keys. They lost the word of God. He told his people what it meant for them to lose the word of God. And God had given them the word. He had given it to Moses on a scroll. God had uh, communicated to his people his law, what he wanted, how he wanted them to live. And somewhere along the way, they lost the word of God. It wasn't replaced. No one knows how. But the startling thing we're going to see in this text is nobody even seemed to notice. They didn't notice that the word of God was missing. You get the idea that nobody really cared. I want to look at this this morning because if you're going to have dominion as a child of God, we're talking about spiritual warfare. I mean, no, the kingdom's not a playground, it's a battleground. And if you're going to have dominion, You can't lose this sword. If you're going to do battle with hell and all the demonic forces that will come against your mind, your health, your home, your marriage, your family, your children, the church, your nation, you're going to need the word of God. I want to preach a sermon I've entitled Finding the Book, 2 Chronicles 34. A lot of scriptures here, but I want to move through this. 2 Chronicles 34, we'll start at verse 1. It says, Josiah was eight years old. When he became king and reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. 
And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, verse 3, while he was still young, he began to seek seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molten images. They broke down the altars of Baal in his presence, the incense altars, which were above them. He cut down and the wooden images, the carved images, the molded images. He broke in pieces, made dust of them, and scattered them on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and all around with axes. When he had broken down the altars and the wooden images, had beaten the carved images into powder, and cut down all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. Jump down to verse 14. Now when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And how Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. So Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king word, saying, All that was committed to your servants they are doing. And they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord, and they have delivered it into the hands of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the Lord. Thus it happened. When the king heard the words of the law, then he tore his clothes. Verse 27. Now God's prophesying and speaking to Josiah. says, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants. And you humbled yourself before me. You tore your clothes and wept before me. I have also heard you, says the Lord. Surely I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see the calamity which I will bring on this place and all its inhabitants. And so they brought back word to the king. Verse 29. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to, his, to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites and all the people great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord, to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments, his testimonies, his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. God, we come this morning by your blood. We thank you. God, for your word, God, the impenetrable word of God. I thank you, Lord, for you have not left us to our own selves and own devices, God, but you have given us an eternal blueprint. God, I pray that we would esteem your word, value it as such. And I thank you, God, for speaking through it and to us this morning as we give you glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Finding the book. Let's look firstly at life before the book. So our text this morning speaks of a young boy by the name of Josiah, and it tells us that Josiah became the king at eight years of age. Now, how many know this is not typically an age to become the king of a nation? It's hardly an age, if we'd be honest, to do much of anything that requires heavy responsibility, and yet our text says something this morning very, very powerful about this little eight-year-old boy. Verse 2 says that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. That is a powerful statement. 
especially when you consider the backdrop or the context of this statement. See, before Josiah became king, the Bible tells us that his grandfather had been the king and even his father was king. But listen to what the Bible says about his grandfather named Manasseh. Second Chronicles 33 verse one. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem, but he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. He rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. He raised up altars for bells, made wooden images, worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in two courts of the house of the Lord. And he caused his own sons to pass through the fire. In the valley of the son of Hinnom, he practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft and sorcery, consulted mediums and spirits. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord and provoked him to anger. He even set a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God said to David and to Solomon and his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I'll put my name. I'll not again remove the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed for your fathers, only if they are careful to do all that I have commanded. Verse 9, so Manasseh seduced Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than all the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. So I want you to get the picture here. This is Josiah's grandfather. He's the most wicked man in Judah's history. And the text you and I just read said he had plunged the nation into worse sins than even the Canaanites that Israel had captured centuries before. Not only that, we read in verse 21 about Josiah's father named Ammon. Verse 21, Ammon was 22 years old when he became king and reigned only two years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. As his father Manasseh had done, sacrificed the carved images which his father Manasseh had made and served them. And he did not humble himself before the Lord as his father Manasseh had humbled himself. But Ammon trespassed more and more. So he's saying, in other words, it went from bad to worse. That even though Manasseh had repented, our text says he humbled himself, yet he could not undo the damage that he had done. Listen to me very carefully this morning. It is much easier to lead people into sin than it is to lead them out again. Even when Manasseh repented, he said, man, I've led these people the wrong way. He couldn't remove and move them out of it. And so my point is... As a young man, Josiah, these were his two male examples. These were the only role models who had personally, uh, you know, invested or been a part of his life. Uh, If you read about him, and actually uh, when it starts to label his lineage, it talks about his mother. uh, Because these two evil rulers, Manasseh and Ammon, uh, were his role models. But our text says... That Josiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Let me just stop and say something right here. If you want to do right, you can do right. 
If you really want to do right, if you're here this morning, you say, man, pastor, I want to do right. You can do right. Don't blame your father. Don't blame your parents. Don't try to blame the pastor. Don't come telling me, oh, it's the church. Oh, it's the people in the church. No, 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 no. Because I don't want to hear that. Because if you want to do right, you can do right. That's the context of our scripture. Here's a young man, wicked grandfather, even more wicked father because he didn't even repent. But apparently Josiah made a decision. He made up his mind from a very early age. I am going to serve God. Every person in this building, if you're going to make it for God, mark it down. It will not be by accident. It's going to happen because somewhere you have made up your mind. I don't care what other folks are doing. I don't care what they're doing. I don't. I'm going to serve God. Not only did Josiah have bad examples, but he lived at a very evil time. Much like the world you and I are living in today. I was reading about former secretary of education, William Bennett. He writes about how teachers in the 1940s were asked to identify the major problems that they faced in the schools. They listed talking out of turn, chewing gum, making noise, running in halls, cutting in line, dress code infractions, and littering. When they asked the same question in 1990, teachers listed drug and alcohol abuse, pregnancy, suicide, rape, robbery, and assault. That was 1990. Listen, folks, you don't need a Ph.D. to recognize we're living in wicked times. But our text this morning gives us tremendous hope because it says that even though Josiah was living in very evil times, it said, nevertheless, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. How many figured out there's a difference between doing what is right in the sight of people and doing what is right in the sight of the Lord? There are people, they will do what is right in the sight of people. But you've got to have real convictions, much less understanding, that you live your life in such a way that you're doing what's right in the sight of the Lord. Then verse 3 takes us a step further. It says that at age 16, he began to seek God. So in other words, at 8 years old, he did what was right, but at 16... Doing what was right wasn't good enough. What do you mean, Pastor? In other words, just being a good person wasn't good enough. Somewhere, Josiah had to shift from doing what was right to seeking God. That's a word for one of you teenage church kids here this morning. You've got to go from just being good to being saved. From simply just doing what's right to seeking God. You know, if you say, man, he's such a good kid. I know, but he's got to get saved. You know, you hear the testimonies, people that, well, I was a good person. I was a, I was a pretty good person. I never did this. I never did that. That doesn't mean you're saved. It's paradox of the kingdom. These paradox, these seemingly contradictory things. You can say, well, I'm a good pe- person, but at the same time, you're a wicked sinner. Good morning. Let me just add this for free. 
Many Christians have the wrong notion that teenagers must go through some phase of rebellion. You know, I hear people say stuff like that. Well, and it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy where Christian parents expect their children to rebel. Never forget we were in Barbados and a lady asked my, she found out we got a 16-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 13-year-old. And she asked my wife, and, and we talked about this lady in the car, but she said, so, so how are you dealing with those teenage rebellion years? My wife, we're talking in the car and we're talking, we're not trying to be, we're like, actually, we're not. Now for some of you, like, oh, just wait. I can feel something. And the reality of it is, we understand we're not out of the woods. We know that the possibilities are there or what have you. There's things maybe we don't know, but the reality of it is, are we expecting Christian teenagers to rebel? Then we shouldn't be surprised when they do. Again, I don't live in a closet. I know the capabilities of teenagers, even my own, especially my own. But I shouldn't expect rebellion. You know, I was thinking about this, you know, in our, in our fellowship, we would put up these signs, expect a miracle. I mean, that's what we ought to be expecting. We're expecting miracles, not rebellion. To my knowledge, there's nothing in the word of God that says teenagers have to rebel. They don't have to. Our text says that Josiah didn't rebel. He started from a very young age, and he did not rebel. Listen, young person, there's absolutely nothing in the word of God that says you are obligated to rebel against God, much less your parents. Let's talk secondly about finding the book. So now we've seen Josiah at eight years old doing right. Then we see him at 16 seeking God. And then verse 3 tells us that in the 12th year of his reign, in other words, when he was 20 years old, he started going around all the land of Israel and he started cleaning up the nation. He started tearing down the, 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 the high places and a false worship. He started breaking down the altars of Baal, uh, this demonic uh, uh, idol and all the molded images. Uh, he started dealing with all the idolatry in the land. I don't have time to go into it. To it all, but we read it there. Then the Bible says in verse 8, in the 18th year of Josiah's reign, in other words, now he's 26 years old, the ripe old age. He's done right. He sought the Lord. He's destroyed the idols. And now he's going to restore the house of God. The Bible says he sends a scribe or man by the name of Shaphan, and he sends Shaphan. He says, I'd like you to go over to Hilkiah, the, the high priest. He's over at the house of God, and I want you to tell him to take all the money that they've gathered and give it to the workers, give it to the builders, give it to those who are trying to work to restore and build the house of God and repair. He says, give them the money. So what had happened is that over time, God's house had gotten broken down. Over time, the priorities of the people had shifted. God's people had become more concerned about their own house than they were the house of God. And so Josiah takes up money and he gives it to Shaphan and told him to deliver it to the high priest so they could complete the work. And so Shaphan goes to Hilkiah and 
He gives him the money and he explains what Josiah, King Josiah said, and they're making, he's giving him the money, oh thanks, and the idea there is now uh, uh, Hilkiah's handing out the money, he's giving it to the workers, and Shaphan's just kind of there, and I don't know if they had small talk, and Shaphan just says, you know, okay man, well, I'll catch you later, and Hilkiah says, wait a second, before you go, I got something I want to give you. And the Bible says that he pulls out a book, and the imagery there is he kind of dusts off the book, and he says, I want to give you this. Take this back and give it to the king. Give it to Josiah. And so our text says that Shaphan being the scribe, he grabs the book. He says, okay, no problem. He takes it to the king. And the king sees this book. Scholars aren't sure if it was the first five books of the Bible, the book of, in the book of Moses there, the Pentateuch is this technical term. Some think it's just the fifth book, the book of Deuteronomy. But regardless, he found the word of God. The Bible says he brings it to Josiah, and Josiah says, read it to me. And as he's reading this, Josiah realizes, wait a second, man. This ain't just a book. This is the book. This is the word of God. And you read it in our text. Verse 19 says that upon realizing this was the word of God, Josiah tore his clothes. That's a picture there of conviction. He gets convicted. No doubt. Where, where, where'd you get this from? Oh, 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 Hilkiah, the, the, he said, you know, they found when they were cleaning up all the rubble in the house, they came across this absolutely shook Josiah up. And he moves in this act of aggressive repentance because he's convicted. No doubt he must have been thinking, I was king at eight. At 16, I sought God, and now I'm 26, and I've been trying to do the best that I can to restore the house of God, but here I am. I've been doing everything without the book. I've just been using my own intellect, my own reason, my own life's experiences. I've watched what my dad did, and I resigned myself not to do that, and I'm going. But that's a picture this morning of so many people, perhaps even in the house of God. Are you trying to navigate life without the book? Are you going about the complexities of what you can see, much less what you can't, the spirit world? Without the book? Oh, I'm just doing the best I know how. Without the book? You're letting the world think for you. You're trusting in your own best judgment. You're guessing at life. You're leaning towards popular opinion simply because it's popular. The idea here is that even Josiah didn't even know there was a book. He's lived from 8 to 26 
basically unaware 18 years. And so Josiah and the entire nation are basically living in darkness. Remember, I talked in my opening about the dark ages. This is what Josiah and the nation are living in. And Shaphan is there reading the book. And Josiah is there hearing the word of God. And he's realizing, man, the reason we've turned to idols is because we lost the book. We've gotten away from God's word. Again, in our text, for almost 20 years, the word of God has been missing from the lives, not of of the people of God. Let's bring this home to where you and I live. There's one thing to examine a nation thousands of years ago. But if we be honest, sometimes we're just as guilty of losing the most amazing book, the Bible. Could it be that the reason our world looks the way it does is because God's people are losing the book? Maybe the word of God, word of God has been lost in the rubbish of immorality. The word of God has been lost in the dust of materialism, the dirt of humanism. You know, today, we're exalting opinions over the word of God. Can I say something honestly to you? I don't care what you think. I don't. And you shouldn't really care what I think. Because how much does that matter? One of the things, uh, uh, the, the church over in Barbados, they would ask, people would ask me a question. Sometimes Bible said, well, pastor, what do you think? And they learned over time. I said, it doesn't matter what I think. What does this say? Because I can tell you what I think all day. But that don't make it true. That don't make it factual. And it definitely doesn't make it inerrant. You shouldn't really concern yourself with what I think. What does God's word say? Because the Bible is not just any book. It's a book that's been relevant for thousands of years. It's a book that's been written by over 15, uh, over a span of nearly 1,500 years, 40 different authors, 66 sub books, if you will, uh, no contradictions. Uh, it can't be nullified. It can't be done away with. People have tried to fight against the book. But the book still lives. It's alive. Arthur John Bloom, he wrote an article about people being bored with the Bible, and he titled the article, Yawning at Majesty. He said, the Bible is often accused of inciting all manner of violent historical horrors. It is an ignorant, foolish, and at times willfully misleading interpretation of the violence recorded in Scripture. Since the dawn of time, human beings have been manipulating every form and level of power in every religion to slake their own evil, self-glorifying desires for money, sex, and more power. The real story is not that the Bible has been abused in such ways. The real story says, the real story of the Bible, it's its unrivaled power to transform murderous, covetous, sexually immoral, pathologically selfish people into humble, self-sacrificing, servant-hearted lovers of God and other people. There is a reason Christians, more than any other group of people throughout history, 
have been at the forefront of aiding the poor, tending to the sick, educating the masses, and standing against injustice. And then he says, the reason is very simple. The Bible. It's not just any other book. But pastor, it's boring. There are some practical things you can do. Get you a study Bible, get you some a little bit more English friendly. Yeah. If you feel bored with the Bible, this is what he's telling me. He says, you're, you're literally yawning at majesty. Yeah. We need to step back and remember the marvelous power, the uniqueness of the word of God. Again, this man, John Blee says, just think about what God was aiming to accomplish in the Bible. He purposed to convey the truth of redemption, the gospel, in ways that would be understood and believed by people in thousands of diverse cultures, speaking thousands of different languages over thousands of years. He has a question. Have you ever thought how incredible it is that the message of the Bible can be believed and the gospel can be lived out in the most primitive and the most sophisticated cultures on earth in every age? Not only that, he said, but God determined to make the most important parts of the Bible comprehensible to small children and uneducated adults and yet be able to withstand the most rigorous pounding of academic criticism. The Bible has taken and continues to take more critical cannon fire than any other book in history, and yet the ship simply will not sink. It says the Bible is also the most audacious book ever written. In other words, it either inspires hatred or devotion. Think about the claims that the Bible makes. Bible says that this book is breathed out by God. <sighs> by God. Bible says that this book is perfect. It's living. It's active. Claims to be a discerner between thoughts and intents, motives, issues of the heart. J.C. Ryle wrote a book called Old Paths in the 19th century. He said, if the Bible is not the word of God and inspire the whole Christendom for 1,800, now 2,000 years, has been under an immense delusion. Half the human race has been cheated and deceived, and churches are nothing but monuments of folly. If the Bible is the, is the word of God and inspired, all who refuse to believe it are in fearful danger. And they're living on the brink of eternal misery. Listen, church, we got to get back to the book. And I'm not talking about it as a church. I'm talking about it as individuals. Let me ask you an honest question this morning. How often do you read the Bible? How often? If I were to ask your husband, your wife, your children, what would they say? You know, I get alarmed when I talk to Christians over and over, and I never hear them say anything like, yeah, the other day I was reading in my Bible, and I've talked to people sometimes multiple, multiple times, and I'm like, have you ever heard them say that? 
Let me ask the same question a different way. Have you lost the book? In your own life, in serving God, have you lost the book? I dare say there's people sitting here right now. You don't know where your Bible is right now. If somebody said, go grab your Bible, we'd have to wait a while. Wait, wait, I know, I think I... We're talking about the Word of God. Have you lost the book? See, many people have a Bible. And you can have a Bible, but the question is, does the Bible have you? I share with you my own testimony, a couple things. This is what got me saved. Guy comes up, I'm at the gym, he says, hey, do you read the Bible? I said, yeah, I do. I went home that day and the Holy Spirit, I didn't even know it was the Holy Spirit, said, you lied to that man today. I had one on my bookshelf, I had one on my nights, and I had two Bibles. I hadn't opened those Bibles in well over a decade at least. So you lied to that man today. That was the first day of my own volition as an adult that I picked up the word of God and said, if I'm going to say I believe this, I'm going to know what it says. And I started reading, and that was the instrumental. I believe in me coming to Christ. Do you know him for yourself? And listen, I'm not trying to condemn you. I want to see you make it for God. I want your Christianity be, to be rich and blessed. I want your, 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 your relationship with God to be full of, of awe and inspiration. Uh, that's the importance of this book, uh, because if you lose this book, uh, you lose the ability to live right. It's what happened to the nation of Israel. You do your own study, but they look for every other way to change them. Oh, I can do this, I can do this. They look for every other way to change them. So many ideas. How do I know if I'm thinking right? People look at our world today and they're like, well, how did we get here? Prayer out of school. Took the Ten Commandments. Further we get from a godly biblical heritage, darker the ages get but listen, everything has to do with the book. It's getting removed, torn down, ignored. When we lose the book, we lose ourselves, we lose our way. And the question I'm about, what's going on? What's going on? Looking at the world, it's real simple. We lost the book. As I mentioned earlier, this is the quickest way to become religious. I was there in Barbados. It is a very religious nation. And you recognize few things about religious people. I'm going to preach a sermon one day, but not today. But you recognize, very interesting, is everything they say is, well, I think, well, this. and if you start to press people about, but that's not biblical. But the Bible don't say that. It's like, it's almost like, well, what, what, yeah, but what's that God? This is how I've always lived. Yeah, but I'm not talking about how you were raised. I'm not talking about how you were always lived. I'm not talking about what your grandmother taught you. I'm not talking about what your daddy said. I'm talking about what does the Lord say. It should bother you when you've lost a book. How do you feel when you've gone two weeks without the word? Because that happens. If we be honest, you're like, man, when's the lot? How do you feel? 
Here's the question. How did they in our text, and how do we lose the most valuable book in existence? The reality is that losing the book isn't always intentional. We could talk about carelessness, priorities out of whack, busyness, distractions, laziness. How many times have you honestly intended to read the word of God, but it just never worked out with your schedule? You're like, man, I, I... Or sometimes, let's be honest, we lose it on purpose. We don't like what it's saying. Why go to the doctor if you're not going to take the medicine? Fleshly desires in our text of the fathers is what led them away from the book. Because their own desires said, man, why read this if I'm not going to obey it? I remember coming to church. I was telling somebody recently, I remember coming to church. When I, I came to church for four months, uh, off and on for a time before I ever got saved. But the reason I stopped coming, because I was like, I was still going to the clubs and doing everything. So it was like, people say, well, why'd you leave the church? Nobody said nothing to me. It wasn't the church. It's like, why keep coming if I ain't going to do what they say? And I left because I was so convicted all the time coming here. In our text, they found the book in the house of God. Two thoughts that come from this, two sides of the same coin. The best way to get back on track is to get back to the house of God, where the word of God is. There are people, let's be honest this morning, live stream is not the same as the house of God. Your house, if you're watching, is not the same as the house of God. If you're watching right now, can I humbly give you a word from God? It's time for you to get back to the house of God. It's time for you to come back to church. As I said in Sunday school, COVID is our new reality. I don't know if you figure that out. If they keep coming up with new variants, you're going to wait till COVID is gone? Alpha, Omega, interesting what they call these things, Delta, Omicron. Another thing, the flip side, since the book was found in the house, then we understand that it was lost in the house of God. You can be in the house of God, and the word of God can be lost to you. You can be here this morning for all kinds of reasons, fellowship, worship, boyfriend, girlfriend, response of Josiah to finding the word of God is incredible because it wasn't, he knew this was special. To place this in context, did you notice in the text, the man of God, the high priest, didn't even have the book. And evidently he wasn't reading it. Do you see that? He's the high priest over Israel. Let me help you with something this morning. Do you realize that the high priest of Israel was not following the book of the law and he wasn't governing with it. Did you also know that many churches today are moving away from the word of God? I told you the other day I witnessed to a guy, he said, I just can't, I've been to a couple of churches, but they don't preach the word of God. You ought to thank God you're in a church where the word of God is faithfully preached. In our text, it's interesting. If you read that, the priest is the one bringing the book to Shaphan. And it's so casual. He's kind of like, hey, we found this book too. And you measure his response to Josiah's response. You're like, wait, but wait, he's just the king. You're the, 
tore his robes. He humbled himself. Josiah did, grieved, mourned. It's like he couldn't believe his ears. When this man found the book, he realized that neither himself nor his nation had aligned themselves with the word of God. He's, in, he's, war, he's looking at the impending destruction that's coming. Contrast his response with Jeremiah 36. Years after Josiah, one of his sons, Jehoiakim, now he's ruling in Judah. And God wants to try to get a hold of his son the same way he got a hold of Josiah. There's some second generation that needs to hear this. And he thinks that perhaps he'll repent like Josiah repents. And so he tells him to take the scroll and he writes on it the same words that were read to Josiah. Jeremiah 36, 3 says, perhaps when the people of Judah hear about every disaster I plan to inflict on them, they will turn from their wicked ways. Then I will forgive their wickedness and their sin. So God's trying to get the attention of Jehoiakim as he did Josiah. But listen to this. When the scroll is brought to the king, the Bible shares this with us. Jeremiah 36, verse 22 through 24. It was the ninth month, and the king was sitting in the winter apartment with a fire burning in the fire pot in front of him. Whenever Jehudai had read three or four columns of the scroll, the king cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw them into the fire pot until the entire scroll was burned in the fire. The king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes. He said he's, his scribe is reading him the word, and he's like, every four pages or something, he's like, throw that thing in the fire. And the Bible says he didn't respond like that. He didn't, who cares? It's just a book. You're going to love it or hate it. Either it changes you or you're going to try to change it. And I've been around enough religion to know religious people know how to change the book. You can cut it off. You can throw it in the fire. You can burn it. You can smoke weed out of it, but it doesn't change the word one bit. The word is still going to stand and judge you. Let's close very quickly and talk about radical realignment. In our text, Josiah spends the rest of his days realigning his life and the kingdom with the words of the book. He starts cleaning up the house of God. And it came down to finding the book. You want to clean up your house? Start with the book. Say, Pastor, my life is falling apart. How do I get it back together? Start with the book. Pastor, my marriage, I don't understand. I've tried and tried. How do I fix it? you got to find the book. you got to remove some rubble out of your life. you got to find the book. Practically speaking, what does that mean? Read it. Read it. Notice in our text, when he found the, found the scroll, when they found it, he, didn't, he, he said, he told the scribe, he said, read it. In other words, he didn't say, sing it. He didn't say, do a drama about it. He didn't say, rap about it. He definitely didn't say, post it. Because, you know, that's the equivalent of some people's Bible knowledge. Just some little cute little post. And I'm not dismissing any of those things, but it's interesting in our text. He said, read it. Read it. 
See, I know firsthand, Anastasia and I, we could tell you stories. Our marriage was a mess. Saved. Alvin Smith, I remember he, he came, gave us a word, God's going to use your marriage. <laughs> we said, yeah, for, to show people what not to do. <laughs> You're going to use it, all right. Exhibit A, don't do that. But I remember when we made a commitment, said, look, Ephesians 5, love your wife. Like, Lord, love the church, submit to you. This didn't make no sense to us. It was foreign language. But I said, man, it's in the book. It's in the book. Started modeling it after book, after the book. Start getting the mind of God. Stacia, I don't want, man, we, we made a decision for her not to work. And I understand the world. I get it. Listen, I get it. But we were struggling too. When Stacia and I met, she worked two jobs. I worked one. And we said, we went to Pastor Kelly. He says, if she can stay home, it's probably the best thing. I know, ladies, today, you don't even need to work. You got little kids at home. Why are you doing that? Did you get that from the book? Because I would beg to differ. Josiah wasn't just an emotional response. He tore his clothes. Verse 27, and I'm going to end with these. It says he, his heart was tender, and he humbled himself. Again, in that verse, God speaks to Josiah again. He says, because you humbled yourself. How many know there's a difference between being humble and being humbled? There's a difference. I pray all the time, God, don't humble them. Let them figure it out, God. Give them mercy. Give them mercy. Church, we got to find the book this morning. We got to find the book. Bible says that Josiah, when he found the book, he grabbed all the inhabitants, the priests, the Levites, but he says he grabbed all the people from great to small. In other words, what he's saying is this ain't just something that the pastor need to know. He said he grabbed all the, the whole nation and he started reading the book to them. And he was making a statement. Second Kings, I believe, 23 or 33, he says he stood by a pillar when he read the book. And he was saying, he was making a, a symbolic statement. As he read, he said, he's standing by this pillar, he said, this thing is upright and unmovable. And if you'll live your life by this, if you'll find the book. He found it, he read it, he believed it, and then he spread it. That's the model. I got to find this thing. I got to read it. I got to believe it. And then I got to spread it and share it. Is the book lost in your life? Then it's not a mystery and you can't blame. Just find the book. If you'll bow your heads with me.